0: It's a privilege to be able to come and to declare God's word to you all this morning. For those of you who are new, uh, who may be visiting, uh, my name is Devin Coleman. I'm the pastoral intern here at CPC. Uh, we are indeed in John chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? Uh, that's John chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 for context, um, but we're going to be uh, camping out and verse 9 for the bulk of the sermon. So again, that's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, with a specific focus on verse 9. But before we hear from God's word this morning, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Lord, I ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit that he would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, namely the love that your Son, Jesus Christ, has for us. Father, I pray uh, that you would drill home into our hearts this morning just how much it is that Christ loves us as his people. And so, Lord, would you do this? And as always, I ask for myself uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. Let's ask in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Then going back to verse 9, once again, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So there's an old hymn uh, written by uh, Anna Warner. She lived from 1827 to 1915 that I'm assuming every single one of us in this room has heard. You probably sang it a hundred times growing up. You probably teach it or have taught it already to your own children. And it goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? So we know it, we sing it, love to sing it, but I wonder when we sing it, do we really understand it? Do we really know what it means to say that Jesus loves us? Have we really grasped, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, the depth of Christ's love for his people? And I'm willing to bet you that though every single one of us has heard the song, we've sang it, we've even believed it, we still have not understood Christ's love as deeply as we could or as we should. And in fact, I would say most of us, those of us who have believed in Christ, who belong to him, tremendously underestimate the love that our Savior has for us. And this doubt of his love, you know, it can be the result of many things. It could be the result of trials or afflictions or indwelling sin that we've been battling with for a while. Or maybe you're just in a season where the Lord just kind of seems distant. And you've been doing all the right things, saying all the right things. But he just seems so far away. And now you're beginning to wonder, does Jesus really love me? And if that's you this morning, I want you to allow these words from Jesus himself in John 15:9 to melt your heart. Once again, Jesus says to his disciples, "As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." I think the text itself speaks quite naturally, kind of in a twofold manner. It tells us first of the degree of Jesus' love for us, and then secondly, the demand of Jesus' love upon us. So the first thing, the degree of Jesus' love for us, and then secondly, the demand of Jesus' love upon us. And it's under these two headings that I want us to see the main point, that because Christ loves us with the love of, with which his father loved him, we should strive to abide in his love. Because Christ loves us with the love with which his father loved him, we should strive to abide in his love. Now before we transition to the first section here, Let me situate the context in which Jesus says these words, right? Otherwise, I might be found to be preaching a Jesus that the Bible knows nothing about. I might be found to be preaching a more theologically liberal Jesus than the biblical Jesus. So let me situate this. The words in John 15, 9 come within the overall context of Jesus's upper room or farewell discourse. And that takes place between John chapters 13 and 17 in which Jesus is addressing solely his disciples. So he's not speaking to everyone in the world in general. He's speaking, if I might use his own words, to his own. And so therefore, in John 15, 9, Jesus is speaking to his own. And so let's not abuse his words here in such a way that would lose the uniqueness or the specialness with which Jesus is speaking. Christ is speaking to his own people, to believers. And as he is about to go, this farewell discourse, his horrendous death on Calvary's cross as a substitutionary atonement for his own, Christ takes the time to tell them what's most on his heart. And what's one of the chief things then that Jesus would have his people to know before he leaves them? What does he want them to know? And here in John 15, 9, we see that he wants them to know just how much he loves them. And how much has Jesus loved his people then? Which naturally leads us to the first section, the degree of Jesus' love for his people. How has Christ loved his people? He says to his disciples in verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus loves us with the love with which his father loves him. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus, when he wants his disciples to know just... How incredible, how deep the love that he has for them, how complete it is, how immense it is, how powerful it is, how steady it is, how sure and steadfast it is, how passionate it is, how unbelievably glorious and otherworldly that the only legitimate comparison that he can think to make of his love to us is the love that the Father himself has for him. And that leads us to ask the question then, how has the father loved his son? How has God the father loved God the son? And it's here, my brothers and sisters, I must admit that we can't even begin to grasp the unfathomable intra-Trinitarian love of the Godhead. And so what we speak here we speak of the triune God's love within himself. And when we speak, we speak specifically of that love between the person of the Father and the person of the Son. And concerning the profoundness of that love, that great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, cautions cautions us saying, here we get into deep waters. And so, my brothers and sisters, lest we drown in our own philosophical speculations, let us use the life vest of scripture to keep us afloat. And so, not only that, let's also keep in mind that Jesus is using an analogy here. And so, the comparison is not meant to be taken in a literal, you know, one-to-one since There is a unique relationship. There is a unique love that the Father has for the Son that we will never share in by virtue of us being creatures. We are the creatures and he is the creator. Nonetheless, all of those qualifications in mind, what the scripture tell us of the love that the Father has for the Son and then how does that speak of Christ's love for us? Well, we know one thing, right? That the Father loves the Son intimately, right? By this I mean he loves the Son with a warmness, with a close familiarity. You remember Jesus' baptism, right? Matthew chapter 3.17, the other gospel writers give this account as well. But after Jesus gets baptized, the Spirit descends upon him like a dove and the Father's voice comes from heaven. And what does it say? This is my what? My beloved Son with whom I am. Well pleased. The father views the son as his unique beloved. And Matthew and the other gospel writers use that term to indicate that special intimate kind of relationship and love between the father and the son. And then in John 17 at the end of the farewell discourse, Jesus speaks of this intimacy even more saying that the father is in him and he is in the father. And then elsewhere he says, I and the father are one. The love that the father has for the son is so deep and so intimate they can be spoken of as being in unison with one another. Indeed, there is no love in the universe that is more intimate than the love that God the Father has for God the Son. And guess what, believer? Jesus says that parallels the way in which he loves you. There is no friend, no family member, No boyfriend or girlfriend, no brother or sister in Christ, no pastor or preacher that loves you more intimately than Jesus. And even marriage itself, which should express the highest deepest, most passionate love between a husband and a wife, between a man and his wife, Ephesians 5.32 tells us, but that is just a type and shadow of the love that Christ has for his church. And so my brothers and sisters, I hope that gives you comfort this morning that when you're at your lowest, that when you feel Abandoned perhaps by even those by all intents and purposes who should be the closest to you. When you're in despair of what feels like intimate love, remember that Jesus loves you and he loves you intimately. He loves you more intimately than anyone or anything ever could. But yet not only does Jesus love us intimately, right? He also loves us infinitely, and you're probably wondering, well, where is that? Remember, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We're camping out in this verse. And so how else does Scripture speak of the Father's love for the Son? And then how does this relate to Christ's love for us? Well, Scripture affirms that the Father loves the Son infinitely. The Father loves the Son without measure. In other words, you can't place a limit on the love that the father has for his son. And John himself, I think, wants to bring this out. John, the gospel writer, that is, in his own way. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 35, he tells us that the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And I think by implication... This giving of all things to the Son reflects that infinite love that the Father has for the Son. You see, it's because the Father gives the Son all things, it's because, or rather, it's because of the infinite love towards the Son that the Father gives him all things. And so likewise, Jesus' love for his people is infinite. He loves us without measure. His love towards us is inexhaustible. And if you need proof of that, just look To the cross, right? The proof is there. Look to the cross when He took our sin and our shame and our guilt upon Himself when He hung there. He did that for you and for I. He didn't look at the cross and said, Ah, my limit stops there. He says, I see the cross and I see you. And if I have to go through the cross to get you, then I'm gonna do it. Jesus loves his people infinitely without measure. And so the next time then you fall into that same pesky sin that you hate, that you've been fighting against, even then know that Christ's love is not exhausted. For as it would be unthinkable for the father's love for the son to be exhausted, so Christ's love never runs out for those who, who are his? But then how else does Scripture speak of the Father's love for the Son? Well, Jesus says in John 17, 24, again, in the end of the farewell discourse, in his high priestly prayer, he's praying for the perseverance and the glorification of his elect. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, To see my glory that you have given me. And then he says this. Because you have loved me. Before the foundation of the world. Jesus when he's speaking of the father's love for himself. He says father you have loved me. Before the foundation of the world. The father has loved the son since eternity past. And he will love him into eternity. Future. And so believer, if Jesus' love for us parallels the love for the Father for him, then it seems we can draw the conclusion that there never, nor will there ever be a time when Christ ceases to love us. And even during, you say, well, okay, you're saying the Father's love for the Son is eternal. What about Calvary's cross, right? What about the cross? But I would submit to you that even in that dreadful hour on the cross, when the Father is pouring out his wrath upon the Son, we might say that ontologically speaking, in the being of the Trinity, Even then, there was no breach in the love between the Father and the Son, even as the Son, as our mediator, was being truly cut off from the experience of that love. And so, my brothers and sisters, Jesus loves us then with an eternal love, the same love that the Father loves the Son. He loves us, as the hymn writer says, with a love that will not let us go. And even in the most difficult trials that we face, whether it's the loss of a job, the struggle with an addiction, a battle with a terminal disease, the loss of a child, the loss of a loved one, you can rest assured that Christ still loves you. As John says in John chapter 13, verse 1, that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Believer, Christ loves you to the end. And how could it be otherwise? For he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Christ loves you to the end. But this isn't all that Christ says in that one verse, right? So John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? But he says something else. And so that we, I think, won't misunderstand or abuse Christ's love in an antinomian sense. So that we might not think that Christ's love uh, means that we can live any way that we so please so that we might not think, as Paul says, that we can sin so that grace may abound. Christ commands his disciples, he issues a demand, and what does he say? Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Hence, the demand of Christ's love upon us. Abide in my love. Yeah, what, is it, what does it mean to abide in Christ's love? Do you ever sit and think about that? What does it mean to abide in Christ's love? And, and the word itself, in the original, it means to, to stay, to remain, to live, or to, to dwell. So in all of the instances that it's used, it can have those meanings, And it seems like ESV is picking up on that last one, dwell, and so they used to translate it there as abide. And so after telling his disciples the degree of his love, he says, I've told you how much I love you. I told you that I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. And now what I want you to do is remain, live, dwell in that love. Jesus says, live your whole life out of and through the love that I have for you. And you know, theologians, uh, they speculate, they have various definitions for for what it means. And they they tend to say mostly the same thing. And I particularly like the one that, that Calvin gives where he says that to abide in Christ's love means that we should continually enjoy that love with which Christ loved us. And take care not to deprive ourselves of it. I'll say it again, that we should continually enjoy that love with which he once loved us and take care not to deprive ourselves of it. And so now you might be questioning, but I thought you said genuine believers could never lose Christ's love. You just said that Christ's love for his own was eternal. And yes, it is in a salvific sense. We cannot be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus or from Christ's love, Romans 8, 39. However, what I think Christ wants us to see, what he wants his disciples to see, is that it is possible to deprive yourself of the experience of Christ's love. Hence, the need to abide in it. But again, what does it look like to abide in Christ's love? Love, and you would think that Jesus would kind of go on like this grand kind of theological treatise on what it looks like to abide in Christ's love and write like 50 pages like seminary professors who need a job would do. (laughs) But Christ just says something incredibly simple, doesn't he? He keeps it simple, plain, straightforward. Jesus says, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, don't think Jesus is teaching works righteousness here or that he's somehow saying, I'm going to give you my love initially, but then it's kind of up to you and keep my commandments to make sure you don't lose my love. That's not what Jesus is saying. And I think to help explain it, let's use the metaphor that Jesus himself uses in the immediate context. That's why we read verses 1 through 11. So look at verses 1 through 8, where Jesus issues the same command to abide, and this time he uses it within the imagery of himself as the vine and the disciples as the branches. And so there Jesus says, what? I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser, verse 4, hop down, he says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so I think this helps clarify, and that Jesus tells us already here that bearing fruit, even the fruit of obedience to his commands, that is a fruit, comes as a result of already being in union with him. So we don't bear fruit in order to abide. Rather, bearing fruit comes as a result of abiding. And so likewise, then, we don't keep his commandments in order to gain or to keep his love. Rather, in keeping his commandments, we show ourselves to be those who have truly received Christ's love and abide in it. Does that make sense? Calvin again states that he says, the obedience which believers render to Christ is not the cause why he continues his love towards us, but rather the effect of his love towards us. And to keep it straight, I think Jesus at bottom just wants us to see that whatever abiding is, whatever definition you attach to it, it cannot happen apart from doing what he says. And don't think of that as as a burden, right? I love uh, in 1 John, John says his commandments are not burdensome. Don't think of it as a burden. Christ actually teaches this for the sake of our joy. Verse 11, he says, concerning everything that he said, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ wants us to experience the joy of abiding in his love and the joy of a life lived out of his love in obedience to him. That's why he tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And so I ask you this morning as we come to a close, are you abiding in Christ's love? He's told you this morning of how great his love is for you. He's told you that he loves you as the Father loves him. He's told you the degree of his love. Are you abiding in it? You might say, well, it still kind of seems a little impossible. Doesn't really feel like I'm Abiding and when I look at myself keeping his commandments, I am doing a terrible job and you're right It is a possible it is impossible in your own strength And yet Christ so loves us He gives us the very grace to do what he commands And not only does he give you the grace to do what he commands, but he gives you the means of that grace He gives you the word He gives you the sacraments baptism And the Lord's Supper. He gives you his body. He gives you the church. He gives you all of these resources and in his sovereignty uses them to keep you as his people abiding in his love. All of these things he uses to keep us to ensure that for the elect, nothing will ever separate them from his love. And so believer, Abide in Christ's love this morning. Abide in it. Dwell in it. Live in it. Avail yourself to the means of grace. Experience Christ's love for you. And I would be remiss if I did not at least acknowledge that there's a potential that there's unbelievers. Those who have not experienced Christ's love. And if you are an unbeliever, make no mistake, you don't experience this love. But the hand of God, the wrath of God is still heavy upon you. And I plead, come to Christ. Come to Christ. You've heard of the love that Christ has for his people. Why miss out? Why do that? Trust in him alone for your salvation. Come to know Jesus today and come to know truly the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for reminding us of the love that your Son, Jesus Christ, has for us. We thank you that as you loved him, so he tells us that he loves us. I ask that you would help us as we leave here today to abide in Christ's love. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these words of mine and that he would go where I cannot, that he would go where these words of mine cannot, that he would take this word that he has preached and that he would write it on the tablets of the hearts of your people that they might truly know what's the depth, the width, the height, and the breadth of Christ's love for them. And so, Lord, would you do this and get all the praise, honor, and glory for it. For it's in Christ's name. Amen.